0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your scriptures, deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Our souls are consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Even though our enemies sit plotting against us, your servants will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are our delight. By Christ's spirit, may they be our counselors now. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a series together through the book of Philippians, and we've come to chapter 2. And particularly, we're going to read together verses 12 uh, through 18. That will be our text for this morning. Verses 12 through 18. Um, but to remind us of the context, I'm going to begin our reading at verse 1. So I'll read it beginning at verse 1, but our text again is verses 12 through 18. Let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, we've been considering this this great chapter of the faith together, um, many precious things in this chapter for God's people, uh, many familiar concepts and verses probably that we, we know and that we love, um, important things that Paul has to say, and we've come to a point of application Uh, that Paul has been saying what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, the prime example of that being the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, his mind that caused him to come and to give himself for his people, the way he humbled himself for the sake of others and the way his father has lifted him up. He serves as the prime example of what it means to live a life that's consecrated to God and worthy of him. And now Paul comes to some applications that he wants to make to us, some exhortations for God's people of how we are to live and how we are to respond to what he's called us to do. Uh, The the passage that we're looking at begins with, therefore, um, we're going to see how he's applying this to us. Um, And he has several exhortations that he brings to God's people. What are we to do in light of all these things? How are we to respond? Well, he exhorts us first to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Second, to do all this uh, without grumbling or questioning. Um, And finally, to rejoice. And so it's nice to have three points of application that Paul makes. It makes my job a lot easier. Um, But Paul is essentially saying here, this is what a Christ-like life looks like. Um, If we want to know how to do it, he's going to give us the practical directions for living a Christ-like life. Um, And he makes those three important points of application to God's people. To say first that a Christ-like life is a working life. There are things that we are called to do in light of what God has done in us and for us. So the Christian life is to be a working life. The Christian life is also to be a shining life. Uh, Paul makes that point as well. Our lives are to shine. And he tells us how the Christian life is to be a shining life. Um, And finally, our lives are to be rejoicing lives. We are to rejoice and be glad. Um, That's the calling of the Christian life. And so Paul says, if we want to live Christ-like lives, we have to know that our lives need to be working lives, they need to be shining lives, and they need to be rejoicing lives. And that's how we want to think about his admonitions to us uh, this morning. The Christ-like life is a working life. That's what's communicated to us in verses 12 and 13. We are to work out our salvation. We are to do a number of things. And I think Paul highlights really four things that that encompass this this working life. He says in the first place that if we're going to live a Christ-like life, we have to work at being constant. A Christ-like life is a constant life. Um, It's it's a dependable, reliable kind of life. Um, We are to be constantly faithful And we are to be constantly growing um, as Christians. Paul loves them. He loves the faithfulness they've shown in the past. We always have to be reminded this is a church that Paul is very happy with, a a church that's brought much joy to him in the midst of his suffering. This is not a church that's doing poorly um, or needs a lot of strict care Again, he doesn't come to the Philippians the way he has to come to the Galatians, for example. He can come to the Philippians and say, I'm very encouraged by what you're doing. You bring a lot of joy that when I hear that all the things I wanted to see in a church are true of you. Um, but it's a reminder to us that we need to, even good churches, need to be constant, need to remain what they are, to not fall away from the, the faithfulness that God has given um, and so Paul, Paul starts there, um, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Um, continue to be constant in the faith. Continue to be constant in what you've done. Keep doing it. Uh, we all need to be told that. Uh, one of the great rallying cries of the Reformation was always reformed, always reforming. Uh, And that was a cry for constancy, right? A a call to be constant in what we do. We always need to be reformed according to the word of God. We need to be faithful to what we're doing. But we also need to always be reforming, always willing to put what we do against the test of God's word and see, is what we're doing what God wants to see done in a church? Um, And that's really what Paul is calling them to do. We have to work at being constant, staying faithful as we've started well to continue. Uh, Paul says that's the calling of the church uh, to be growing. You've been obeying. Paul says, "I want you to do this much more, um, much more, especially now that I'm not around." Right? It's always easier, boys and girls, to behave when mom and dad are around. Uh, the real trick is, what do you do when mom and dad aren't around? Um, Are you still obeying? And Paul, sort of like a spiritual parent, is saying, you always obeyed when I was around, um, and now that I'm not going to be around, I hope to see that you can hear that you're still obeying. That you obey not only as you have in the past, but much more, thinking about the future, that you would continue to do that. He wants the Christian life to be a constant life, to make sure that our faith and obedience are faithful and continuing to grow. In that sense, he says our lives are not only to be constant; they're to be active. Um, the, the the call to the Christian life is not a call for inactivity. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know how to get away from this microphone when I have to cough. So, um, he wants the, the Christian life to not just be one of um, constancy, but one of activity. We never want to fall in the trap of thinking that God has saved us to be like turtles on our backs. Just sort of kicking, not really doing anything. God does all the work in saving, and so nothing is really called forth from us. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He wants us to understand that salvation is of the Lord, it's all from the Lord, that God has done this. That's the hope of God's people. In chapter 1, verse 6, he makes that clear. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, that God is the one who begins our work of salvation. God is the one who completes our work of salvation. And yet Paul says here, we're to work out our salvation. Um, And this has caused people a lot of trouble. Um, What what is exactly being meant here? Can we save ourselves? How am I going to work out my own salvation? What is God calling me to do in this passage? Well, that word to work out really means to, to increase in faithfulness. To bring about or produce faithfulness. um, To bring about or produce the things that have already been brought about and produced in us. Um, And so this is not, we're not working out to try to save ourselves, but we're working out from being people who are saved. Um, And we'll get into that maybe a little bit more as we go on to make that clearer as Paul finishes out these exhortations. But he's not saying make yourself something you're not, save yourself. But because you have received this great salvation, continue to work it out in your life. Um, just as faith is a gift of God, we want to seek to put on our faith more and more, see our faith increase, see our trust in God deepen. Um, as the Apostle Peter will say, we want to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's what we want to be working out in the lives of God's people. And we're called to be active in the Christian life. Uh, we're called to put our trust in God and to keep doing that more and more. Uh, we're called to obey God and to seek to do that more and more. Uh, and the Christian life is to be an active life. Um, you know, we, we can sometimes make the mistake in reform circles of saying, well, you know. We need to work out salvation in our lives, and of course we can't work out salvation in our lives, and that's why Jesus Christ came, and so he worked out salvation in our lives, praise the Lord. And that's true, but if you read it that way, you take away everything Paul is calling you to do. Right, and we, we don't want to be so reformed that we outreform Paul. Um, he's saying work. He's saying to Christians, work. Work out your salvation. Seek to trust God more and more. Uh, seek to obey God more and more. We should be active in the Christian life um, and we should be off filled in the Christian life. We need to be constant, we need to be active and we need to be awe-filled to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, um, with an understanding for what it is to live before the face of a holy God. Um, it's a serious business to live the Christian life. It's a serious business to be in fellowship with God. It's a blessedness, it's a delight, it's a joy to belong to God. Um, but God is still God, even when we come into communion with Him through Jesus Christ. He's a God to be feared in that sense of reverence and awe for who God is. And of course, we should be even more filled with that sense we who have been uh, had our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to understand our sin to understand the desperate nature of who we are without a mediator, of a God who's just and holy and a people who are wicked and to know that but for the intervention of our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we would be without hope, without God in the world. But that God has intervened, that his own son came to die for sins and has been exalted to that place of glory. Um, We should be filled with awe as we live the Christian life. Uh, We should be all the more amazed at who God is and what he's done for sinners like us. And that should provoke in us a reverence for God. That's why we have the kind of church service that we do. We We don't want it to be You know, mere drudgery every time we come into church, or to say, you know, there's no emotion allowed in a Reformed worship service. This is no place for joy. This is a place for serious business. Um, You know, Reformed people have been good at that sometimes over the years, Um, but that's not what we want to do. But we do want to recognize it's a serious business to come before God. It's a serious business to worship His name. That even for those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our God is still a consuming fire. Um, and we want to have that seriousness of purpose in the Christian life to exalt this God who is worthy of praise and worthy of devotion. And so once again, we find ourselves, as we have oftentimes in this letter, being confronted with difficult callings. Right? It's, it's a hard, we, we know ourselves too well to know that calling us to live a constant life is a hard calling, and that often we're inactive where we should be active. Uh, we're content too often to drift spiritually, to not be working to, to grow in grace and a knowledge of Christ. Um, that sometimes we aren't as filled with reverence and awe before the Lord as we ought to be. And that's why, importantly, Paul as a good pastor knows you can't lay duties on people and then make them feel as if they have to shoulder all the burden of bearing that duty. Um, and so he offers us hope with the fourth thing he says about what it means to live this kind of working life is that it's not just to be a constant life and an active life and an awe-filled life, but it's to be an assured life. That, that the, 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 we, the way we can hope to live this kind of life is because God is at work in his people. There's so many people who are tormented by this passage, work out your own salvation, who are trying to work out their own salvation because they don't keep reading. Because what does Paul say to God's people? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's people should be encouraged that we don't have to gin this up in ourselves Find some source of inner strength by which we can serve God. But actually, the source of our strength is not ourselves, but the God who is working in us. Uh, It it doesn't quite come across in the translation, but it's not just that God is working, it's that God is mightily working. And so anytime we look at passages like this and are saying, that's a big list of things that I've got to do, where am I going to find the strength to do them? We have to recognize that what God is saying is, I'm working mightily in you to produce these things. And if we read all the way through, then we understand where our hope comes from. Because who is it at work in us? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his spirit who's indwelling us. That's where the power to live the Christian life comes from. And so as one Puritan pastor said, you know, the trick always is, for ministers to lay the duty on God's people so that you preach the word properly, but don't make them feel like the whole weight of it rests on their shoulders to accomplish. Because while the duty is ours, the power is God's who's at work in us. That's why we can be sure that we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we're working out what he's already worked in that the Spirit is in us, that Christ is dwelling with us, and that power is in us to work out. And so the Christian life should never be one of this bare duty where I always wonder where I stand before God. That's not how life is meant to be lived. It's actually meant to be lived the other way around. Understanding who you are in God frees you to live out towards God because you know, where does this faith come from that I'm trying to work out more and more? It comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit. Where does obedience come from that I'm trying to work out in my life? It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit who's changed my heart, changed my will, changed my mind so that I might live for God. And so while the Christian life is to be seen as a working life, it should never be seen as a life where we're trying to work in ourselves what only God can work in us. Because if we really understand who we are in Jesus Christ, the saving work of God that he has accomplished, that he has applied, that he will preserve in us, then we recognize that nothing I can do can save me just as as much as nothing I can do can make me fall out of fellowship with God. He keeps those who are his own. And so these passages in that light then don't become this crushing burden on God's people, but actually become a delight Because God is working in us to will and to work, right? To want the things he wants and to do the things he delights in. Those are worked in us by God. And therefore, that's, he supplies the power for us to work them out. He always is the prime mover. He moves with it. He completes it and finishes it. And so while we are called to activity, we should never think that we work out our salvation, that we accomplish it. We are merely trying to produce the fruit and the effect more and more of what he's already done in our lives. That's how the Christian life as a working life can become a delight to God's people. And that's why Paul says, and when we're doing that, we have the ability not just to live a Christ-like life in working as he worked, but also as shining in the world as he shined. The Christian life is not just a working life, it's also a shining life. Um, It's a beautiful uh, statement that Paul makes in verses 14 through 16 of what Christians are like when they do the things that are pleasing to God in the world, that we shine like lights, Um, or as other versions have, we shine like stars. Um, And that's what we're called to do more and more, that we recognize that the Christian life has a purpose in the world, Um, not just for the church, but also for the world. And that was certainly true of our Lord. He came to do specific things for his people, but the whole world could see his glory. The whole world could see he is the light of the world, come into the world. Um, And so the Christian life, not surprisingly, is a life to work as our Lord worked, but also to shine as our Lord shined. And Paul says, you know, there's a particular way in which we shine in the world. There's a particular way we are called to live if we are going to shine as lights in this world. And, and what is that way to live? To do all things without grumbling or disputing. To do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, when you think of grumbling and disputing people in the scriptures, who do you think of? In the scriptures, I'm not asking you to point out Neighbors. Um, who do you think of when, when you hear about grumblers and disputers? Right, you think of Israel in the wilderness. They were always grumbling and disputing. Right? And, and God says, that's exactly what the kind of people you don't want to be. Paul actually uses an Old Testament image of that grumbling people. That they were a crooked and perverse generation. When when Paul says that, he's essentially quoting right from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32.5, we read, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And what does Paul say here? We want you to be a people who are without blemish, who actually shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Uh, but how do we be how are we able to be a shining people well paul says you have to do all things without grumbling or disputing you can't be like that wilderness generation uh, because what did their grumbling and disputing really amount to you know first it was sort of you know who put these bozos moses and aaron in charge we were doing perfectly well in egypt and you know that's kind of That's a little bit of a memory problem on the people's part. But we are doing perfectly well in Egypt, and now we're out in the wilderness to die. We don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to drink. You know, the the, the grumbling starts. And then the disputing starts. Should they be our leaders? Should we keep going? Maybe we should go back. And and that, that was the ultimate breaking point for the wilderness generation. When they're on the cusp of the promised land, And they say, you know what? These people are too big. They're too strong. We've come here for nothing. Let's turn around and go back. That was the breaking point. And we know how this works, right? It doesn't all happen at once. It happens in stages. Um, You you can see this kind of thing happening at a baseball game. You know, the, the pitcher walks a batter, and then there's a little bit of grumbling. And then he walks the next batter. And you can hear it more grumbling in the stadium. And then he goes, you know, two ball count to the next guy and you start going, Come you hear Bill Come on, get this guy out of here. We're sick of seeing him again. Who's managing this team? Right? We start, you know, we start forgetting that someone's being that guy's actually being paid millions of dollars to manage the team and you had to pay money to sit in the seat, but you know better, right? Um, we, we all have experienced that. And that's, that's what happens with the wilderness generation. There's a little bit of grumbling, and then there becomes disputing. And then it's not just Moses and Aaron who failed. It's God who can't be trusted. And the same thing can happen in a church. And Paul is probably writing these things to the Philippians because maybe there is a little bit of grumbling going on in the church. Disputing, questioning, questioning. And Paul says, you know, that has to be cut off right away because that's not the, wor- that's not the way the Christians live. That's the way the world lives. Um, and Christians should be seen as different than the world. We shouldn't be people who are doing things with grumbling and disputing. Because we're trying again to follow the example of our Lord who did everything that he was called to do and never opened his mouth. Right, he never was grumbling, and he had good reason to grumble. Right, when, when the disciples are saying and doing stupid things, um, we sometimes sympathize with Jesus and think, you know, if, if I were in his shoes, I'd probably be thinking, I came to save these kind of people? But there's nothing of that in our Lord. There's no grumbling, there's no disputing. He doesn't question his Father's will. When he's overcome with the weight, of what is before him. He doesn't grumble, he doesn't dispute, he prays. And his prayers even come back to, but not my will, your will be done. That's the prayer of trust. That's a life of obedience. That's what God's people are called to do, to follow what God has called us to do without grumbling and without disputing. Our world is filled with grumblers and questioners. Um, you can find it on Facebook, if you don't believe me, or Twitter, or anything else in social media. It's, the world is filled with grumblers and complainers, and when God's people are not like that, when we live in that particular way that God has called us to live, we will serve that particular purpose for which he's put us in the world. When we live a different life, What happens? when we follow him without complaining and disputing, what happens? We shine in a dark world. Right? There, there's, a, there's a purpose for the world in how we live. Because if the church is filled with grumbling and complaining every bit as much as the world is filled with grumbling and complaining, who wants to be part of the church? Right? Who would want to be part of a church that grumbles and complains? People could say, I I can be part of that world six days a week. Why would I want to spend a seventh doing that? There's There's an evangelical purpose in being a peaceful people who stand in stark contrast to the crooked and twisted generation that's all around us. We're not to imbibe the spirit of the world in these things. We're to actually be different to follow the Lord where he leads without grumbling and without complaining. And the more we do that, the more we shine in this world. The more we shine as something different than what the world sees all around it. Um, We often, you know, I don't think I have to do much convincing to you that we live in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Um, That's probably not a tough sell to people who read the news and live in the world, that we live in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Um, there's a lot of darkness in the world, and a lot of Christians worry that the world is getting darker and darker. Right? We talk to people that worry about what, what's the world going to be like that faces our children or our grandchildren. It's a, it's a different world. It's a worse world. It's becoming darker and more crooked. But see, the good news is the darker the world becomes, the brighter the light shines. Right? Where, where do you see the most stars in the sky? In the places it's darkest. Right? If you go to a really dark place out in the middle of nowhere, you see a lot of stars. Because the darker it is, the more it shines. We shouldn't be afraid of this crooked and twisted generation. God will see his purposes served in the world. That's not our business. Our business is to be unlike the world. To do what God has told us to do so that we would shine like stars in this world. So that we would shine in a self-love world as a selfless people. Um, So that people would look to the church and say, look how they love one another that will help us to shine in this world that's a crooked and depraved generation. And there's a particular means by which we do that. What's the way we live shining lives by not grumbling and complaining? What's the purpose so that we would shine in the midst of this generation? And what are the means we have to do this? Well, God tells us in verse verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. How can we hope to live those kinds of lives in the world? How can we hope to attract people by the way our church shines? That's by holding fast to the word of life. Holding on to Christ who is the word of life and holding out to a dying world, Christ, who is life and light. Holding out the one in whom there is no darkness at all. Who's shown in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome him who is the hope of the world. As I prayed, right? That the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings and shed that light abroad. Bring us into that heavenly homeland in which there is no night for the Lord is the light that's always shining. Um, That's what we're to do. We're to hold on to the word of life uh, to produce that particular result that we hope for that God would be glorified. That's what we want to do in the world is glorify our God. That's what God is telling us to do as we live these shining lives um, that we might do those things for his glory. Not so the world would look at the church and say what a great church but the the world would look at the church and say what a great God. That's what we want to see Um, And finally and briefly, the Christ-like life is to be a rejoicing life. It's to be a rejoicing life. It's not to be a grim life. Because where does this life of work and shining end? It ends in gladness. It ends in joy. Um, And that's what Paul wants to communicate to his people as well in verses 17 and 18. This life leads to rejoicing. even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Um, Paul's using a precious Old Testament image in in referring to himself. Um, During the morning and evening offerings in the Old Testament, um, before the fire was lit under the sacrificial lamb, there was wine that was poured out to increase the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. It wasn't the main sacrifice, but it added to the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. And Paul beautifully is saying, you know, I'll be happy for you if that's all I am. If what you are is the sacrifice that brings glory to God and all I am is the wine that's poured over it to make it a little bit more pleasing. Even if I'm not the main thing, I'll rejoice in being the little thing if it allows you to be the main thing. And that too teaches us something about the Christian life. We don't have to be the main thing. We don't have to do the big thing. We should be content and rejoice if we just get to be a little part of it. If I can just do a little part of that sacrifice that is pleasing to God, I'll rejoice in that. Um, Some of us are called to do big things for the Lord. A lot of us aren't called to do big things for the Lord. Um, And faithfulness in small things is a big thing. Um, So those of us who don't feel like we're doing big things for the Lord, that's okay. Paul was even willing to say, if I do that little bit, if I'm just the wine that's poured over the offering to make the offering that little bit more sweet, I'm pleased to do that. I'm glad to give everything if I can give that small service. And we should be content to do that too, even if it takes a big sacrifice on our, on our part to make a small difference. That's all part of the privilege of being part of the people of God and being privileged by God to be given those small things to do. And so Paul says, if I'm just that little part, I'll rejoice and be glad. And if you're just that little part, rejoice and be glad that's also what's part of living the Christ-like life. And so we want to live lives of faith and obedience, shining lives of glory to God in the midst of a dark world, and a rejoicing life that is glad and rejoices in the ability to serve God in whatever ways he's called us to serve him. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ and all he has done by his work, that he still shines to us as the light of the world and is the source of all of our joy and gladness. And we pray that you would equip us more and more to live lives that are pleasing to you. You would help us to do the things we've been called to do in this passage, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to do all things without grumbling and questioning, to rejoice and to be glad and to hold fast to Christ, who is the word of life. Lord, would you produce these lives and they're pleasing in your sight. And may we glorify your name and be glad that we're permitted to have fellowship with the Son of God. Hear us, for we pray in his name, amen.